Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is the president of 160 Over 90, Ed Horn. Ed oversees an incredible company, part of the Endeavor family. They're doing remarkably progressive stuff. We were happy to have a lot of your team, Ed, at Advertising Week a few weeks ago here in New York, and look forward to figuring out some stuff we can do together. Uh, you're a legend in the business. We have a lot of mutual old friends. And I'm thrilled to have a chance to talk to you. So thanks so much for doing this. Great to be with you, Matt. So Ed, let's go back. You and I are both, give or take, I think, similar ages. I graduated from college in 1986. So I'm guessing we're about the same. We are. I think we are. We, will, we won't tell what that adds up to, but uh, I, it's, we're about the same. it's too, too much math. Uh, <laughs> and you have worked at some really interesting places, including the NFL, a very long, distinguished tenure at the NHL, but started off early on working in a, as an account uh, supervisor, I believe, at Clarion Marketing, which was a very early player in the sports marketing world. The landscape was very different. Post 84 Olympics was really in many ways, I think a watershed moment in the rise of the sports marketing business as a business. Today, it's hard to imagine the world without sports marketing as a huge business, but going back to people like Mark McCormick and Donald Dell and other founders of the business, it's a relatively new business in many, many ways. Can we go back and talk about those early days at Clarion and did you ever imagine then, going back to, I guess, the mid to late 80s, that we would be where we are now? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you, by the way, you just took me on a uh, memory lane, down memory lane. So yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable what the business has, uh, has become. And I'll, I'll tell you, even, even for me, it almost starts a little bit earlier than that, which is uh, in a very long past distant life, um, as I came out of school, I actually was refereeing minor league pro hockey. Uh, and I wound up uh, refereeing at the Calgary Olympics, um, which is 1988. So I guess I am dating myself. And while I was there, I, I, I saw these companies that, you know, sort of seemed to be there entertaining people involved. And, and I, I got really curious about what that was all about. And, you know, sort of a dumb, you know, dumb kid, I poked my nose into everywhere that I could began to talk to people. And it's when I first realized that there was this combination of sports, you know, I would say more broadly now culture, and, and companies and brands and ways to be able to turn that into a business. So, so as I came out of that experience, um, you know, it was really the first time that I sort of thought about the opportunity to marry, you know, passion for sports, which I had and have, and, you know, a potential business opportunity. So uh, I, I guess that's sort of, you know, a, a, long, a, a long road to get to where I am today. Uh, great, great stuff. So hockey's very much been part of your DNA. I did not go to Calgary. I had been to a number of winter games. I went to the one before that, uh, or the one after that, I should say. Well, I guess there were two after. There was Albertville in 92, which is the last year they were together, summer and winter. And I went to 94 uh, and got to go to the gold medal uh, uh -huh. match in, in Lillehammer, Norway. Were you a hockey kid? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I grew up right outside New York City, which many would not say is you know, necessarily a hockey hotbed. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I played all my life, played through high school, played through college when I realized that I really wasn't actually all that good. Um, there were some, uh, some guys in the NHL, including, uh, Pat Tapuzo, who was a Jersey guy, who was a NHL linesman, who sort of was a friend, took me under his wing. And, you know, I sort of went off on this path to figure out, is there a way for me to stay involved in hockey? And, you know, sort of uh, had me arrive, you know, ultimately after a lot of twists and turns, uh, in, in Calgary and, 
know, I, I, I thought refereeing NHL hockey would be sort of my long-term career. And uh, I distinctly remember a few nights in sort of little cities having done a horrible job refereeing where I sort of realized maybe there's a different way to, uh, <laughs> to, to go about the rest of my life and career. Great, great stuff. So at, at its core, what 160 over 90 does so brilliantly is package and tap passion. If we're going to boil it down, you know, very simply, is that, is that sort of fair? Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, you know, the, my sports experience, when you open that aperture, you know, sports is culture, it's entertainment, it's all, you know, all things that people care about. And, and the ability to be able to leverage two things. One is um, sort of the, that cultural perspective, film, fashion, music, art, sport, you know, culinary, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then marry that in the case of 160 over 90 is marry that with the world of endeavor, which 160 over 90 is part of, um, which is, you know, sort of the leading edge of all things happening across all those areas. So our ability to think strategically, creatively and activate and then use, you know, the access that we have to, you know, the incredible world of endeavor, you know, really sets us apart, we believe. It, it absolutely does. So, so let's stay with that passion for a moment and go back to hockey. Hockey fans are incredibly passionate. And I guess you came into the league after a couple of years at the NFL, right around the time when Gary Bettman came in. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So, you know, Gary came from the NBA and, uh, you know, was assembling a team. And, and really at that point, the NHL was almost like just an administrative body, you know, scheduled referees, you know, made sure the games came off, but it really wasn't a, a marketing organization. It didn't have real media reach. Uh, and, you know, I was lucky enough to come in at a pretty young age with a whole bunch of colleagues that were similar of similar age. And we almost couldn't screw it up. You know, there was, it was all upside. Uh, and I came in initially to run the sponsorship business. We were able to, you know, bring some brands in and sort of, you know, sell them on the, on the potential, the opportunity. And Gary's an amazing commissioner and, Obviously, you know, 30 plus years at the helm, he's proven what he can do. Um, and then, you know, as some time went on, I wound up running uh, the business overall, sort of the off-ice business, you know, the, the sponsorship and marketing and media and uh, licensing and sort of all the other stuff that sports leagues do. And, and a big part of what Gary's done, and you were a big, big part of it um, as president of the NHL Enterprises Group for the better part of almost 15 years, you were able to expand that passionate core to a bigger audience. That's a very big challenge. Um, talk about how you undertook that at 30,000 feet. And uh, it's almost, if you were doing a global sort of search for someone to do what you've been doing so successfully at last 10 years at 160 over 90, I think your name would be the one that would come up based on what you did there, tapping passion and expanding that core at the NHL. Yeah, listen, it was a little bit of, uh, you know, the right place at the right time, but also just an incredible game. And, and as you say, with unbelievably fast, passionate fans, but, but a relatively, you know, sort of small fan base. Um, and really, it, it was, you know, a, I would say almost like a traditional marketing exercise, which is taking a great product, really being able to define it, understand who your audience is, you know, create opportunities to expand beyond, beyond the base without alienating those that sort of got you where you were too. Um, and then, you know, both as a marketer, which, you know, the league needed to be, but then tapping into global marketers that, you know, could use their own media and marketing budgets to help grow the game. And that's, that's, that's really the model that we, you know, embarked upon. Um, you know, Gary came from the NBA where, 
David Stern and, you know, Adam Silver now has, has done, you know, such great things to create, you know, the NBA brand. And while the NHL is a very different, you know, business, very different model, obviously, you know, the U.S. and Canada combination is different than, you know, other sports leagues. Um, but really, really at the, at the core, is it's just a great product. And when you have a great product, there's lots of things that you can do. Yeah, no, and it's, it is a great product. And uh, one of my pals, uh, Steve Stern, is a filmmaker. Uh, started Black Canyon many years ago. Has done a lot of great stuff. And they've been doing some of the playoff films for the NHL the last couple of years. And I get to see a lot of the footage. And you see the passion of these fans. And what a great game it really is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it looks like at the end of the day, this is all about storytelling. You know, it's, you know, the, the, the ball versus the white hat, the good guy versus the bad guy, you know, tapping into those stories who, you know, who are the protagonists, you know, what, what is the underlying sort of conflict that happens, you know, whether it's a, it's a film or it's a television show, or it's a, it's a sports league. It's, it's about, you know, telling compelling stories, whether, you know, that's through, you know, traditional means or, you know, through, you know, through other avenues that, uh, you know, that are available to you. So, you know, I, like, I believe that we are all storytellers when we're in the marketing world and, you know, what I've done at the NHL is no different in some ways than, you know, what I'm doing currently. Great, great stuff. So let's stay with that notion of telling amazing stories. You were also early to the game on, uh, I'll call it a marriage, if you will, between Hollywood and Madison Avenue with what you did at Madison Avenue Sports and Entertainment. Can we talk about that little chapter in your journey? Yeah, I was so, when I, when I left the NHL, um, you know, I had some time to, sort of figure out what I wanted to do and, and, you know, did with some friends, almost like a small version of what I'm doing now, which is, you know, the ability to sort of, you know, help talent with their careers, create content that people care about and, you know, find ways for brands to be able to, to leverage, um, you know, all aspects of, uh, of, of culture. So, um, you know, in a lot of ways, what Endeavor is and what 160 over 90 does as part of it uh, was, was very much in a very small scale, the precursor to what we're doing now. Fantastic stuff. So let's talk about the journey to uh, Endeavor. It's been just over 10 years. Give me the origin story. How'd you get there? So, um, you know, as, as WME was acquiring IMG, and I knew a bunch of people on all sides of it, um, it there, there was, you know, in my view, and, and you know, Ari Emanuel and Patrick Weitzel and now Mark Shapiro, you know, have sort of built this incredible organization. But there was an opportunity, uh, I believe, to take brands from the end of the conversation, you know, essentially the checkbook where talent needs deals, events need sponsors, content needs to be funded and, and to bring brands to the beginning of the conversation. So, um, you know, find a way to be able to be a strategic and a creative resource for brands. And then in the case of Endeavor, to be able to, you know, be agency resource, but then tap into all the stuff which, you know, Endeavor now has, owns, operates, represents, and, and that was sort of a narrative that, that you know, Ari and, and Patrick and, and Mark Shapiro, I think, believed in and have just been incredibly supportive in helping to grow what is now 160 over 90 so that, you know, we are unique in that way, as we said a few minutes ago, where, you know, we can operate objectively and agnostically and, you know, sort of represent the brands that we work with in sort of a, you know, a very curated way and yet tap into the unbelievable access of the world of it ever so we know what's happening next in sport or film or fashion or music and and our clients get the benefit of us bringing them i don't know early in development way upstream you know stuff that nobody else knows about, um and then be able to execute on that you know in ways that again just makes us very unique so um so the origin story is one that i think is actually 
consistent with the world of endeavor as well, being very entrepreneurial, you know, sort of looking at what the trends are, finding ways to be able to tap into culture like nobody else might be able to. It's great stuff. So that IMG, that was the Teddy Forsman era of IMG post, post the McCormick family? That, that's right. So um, uh, Teddy Forsman had passed away and that's when, you know, Ari and team came in and, um, you know, acquired IMG. And, you know, again, what, what this has become is frankly just, you know, remarkable. I'm so, you know, sort of proud and privileged to be a part of it. Let's talk about uh, the journey of Endeavor. One of uh, another dear friend of mine um, married into the family of Lou Weiss, who was uh, goes back in history as founder of William Morris way back when, when it was a talent agency, yep. old school, going back to the founders of Hollywood, the Daryl Zanuck and the the Warner Brothers and William Fox. These were all real people. Let's go back, Ed. The, the William Morris Endeavor, as it was known then, that you joined ten years ago. Very different company today from what it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, the sort of the vision that uh, that Ari and, and Patrick and Mark Shapiro had, which is, you know, while the um, while the, the talent representation agency, WME, is still the really the social currency of the organization and, and such an important part of the business. But but I think they clearly saw that, you know, the business needed to evolve and just being a you know representation business, making money off of commissions um, had a place but the ability to be able to own, operate, um, you know, manage bigger and broader assets as well that went just beyond talent representation was part of what that was all about. So, you know, now we, you know, we own so many properties uh, around the world, whether that's the UFC or WWE or PBR, or, you know, New York Fashion Week, golf tournaments, tennis tournaments, culinary festivals. So the ability to be able to, you know, sort of tap into all of that um, and then leverage all of that stuff, we call it the Endeavor Flywheel. So, you know, the representation business uh, married with, you know, what we own and operate, married with the brands that we work with. Um, so that really is the model of, um, you know, sort of how Endeavor has now come to life. And, you know, there's, uh, there's no expectation that that's going to stop at any point. And, you know, I think every day we actually get better and better at how all of that stuff gets leveraged for our clients' benefit. So the direction that Endeavor has taken is significantly different from the path UTA has taken to grow, the path CAA has taken to grow. They grew, I guess, more conventionally uh, with the swallowing of ICM, and now they've all been swallowed up collectively by a, a new owner. Talk about Endeavor's point of differentiation. I want to mention on location also our friend Paul Kane, who brought us together. But you've taken a very different approach, acquisition on a very grand scale. Yeah, I mean, we, we've always been an acquisitive company, and, and I don't think that stops at any point soon. But it really is how all the pieces can fit together and putting those all in a, in a place that, uh, you know, sort of brings it all together. Again, my, my, you know, my part of this world is 160 over 90, which is where I'm, you know, m most able to talk intelligently uh, about. But clearly the 160 over 90 piece of this is really you know, sort of consistent with that overall thesis. Great stuff. So let, let's dig into 160 over 90 because you remind me of my old friend, you probably remember the name Bud Greenspan. Yeah, uh, sure. And Bud, I uh, was very close to Bud uh, at his last Olympics uh, before he passed. We went out, the only time he was kind of ill then and I did rally him to go out for lunch uh, in Vancouver. Um, and he was wheelchair bound. It was, it was close to the end. But Bud would have this wonderful expression about his films that he would not necessarily tell uh, 
the stories of the most famous Olympic athletes. But he would tell stories that when you walked out of the theater or screening room, that you would say, gee, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And it was a wonderful approach that he took. I feel like 160 over 90 has a lot of, gee, I didn't know that about the depth and breadth and scope of what you do. Yeah, and, and I, I, I think, Matt, that's really sort of the point of view that we have, which is, you know, anybody can sort of go in the front door, you know, do a deal, uh, you know, in quotes, if you will. But, but the ability to go find consumers, customers where they are, talk to them in ways that tap into their passions, to your point earlier, the things that they care about, to, to us, the, those are the ways that, you know, you get the hearts and minds of, of people who you're looking to get, as opposed to, you know, banging them over the head with stuff they might not already, or they might already know, or, you know, sort of this notion of disruption, which, which I, I, I get the idea behind it, but I sort of reject it at the same time, which is, you don't want to necessarily be disruptive. What we want to do is be able to appeal to people in ways and in places that they care about and, and, and has them act in ways that makes them feel good about, you know, the brand, the company, the organization, whatever, whatever it might be. And you're also doing it on a global scale. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly right. So 160 over 90 is uh, just we're in about 20 offices now, 800 plus people. Um, so it, that really gives us the ability, you know, to, to grow with our clients, to sort of be a global resource, um, you know, to be in the places where they need us to be. And because the world of Endeavor is even bigger beyond that, I think we're about 9,000 people now. When we have a client that is looking for us to be in a particular, you know, target market, region, country, even if we don't have a presence there on the ground, we can get there like really quickly because Endeavor has an office or, you know, infrastructure, a T1 line, you know, desk chairs. So, um, so that really gives us, we think, a real ability to, to be a global resource for, uh, you know, for the clients that we work with. And I, I love what you're doing, Ed, also as industry thought leaders, putting out uh, white papers, if you will, or research. I know there was a big piece recently about trends in the APAC region. G give us your perspective on what you're seeing globally. Where are there things that are particularly interesting or noteworthy trends that you're seeing? Typically things that start in one place end up in other places, but give us sort yeah. of the uh, 160 over 90 finger on the pulse, if you will. So, so I guess I'll go, I'll go real macro on you here. I, I, where I believe that um, sort of the world is going, and again, getting back to sort of who are the consumers, who are the customers, is, is thinking about culture in more of a horizontal way than, than, you know, sort of a vertical way. What do I mean by that? You know, the, the old days, as you remember, where, you know, somebody wanted to have a sports marketing strategy, and then they wanted to have a music strategy, and, you know, maybe a culinary strategy. Like, we, we as consumers are, are, you know, are all of those things, right? Like, I like sports, but I like to eat. And, you know, on my good days, I like fashion. And, you know, I like to go to the movies and, and watch stuff. So really, I, I believe where, you know, those that are sort of ahead of the pack are thinking about culture across all of that. So our ability to be able to, again, sort of meet clients where they are, meet customers where they are, and talk to them in ways that actually they care about is the difference, right? So like there will, I believe, always be a role for the 30-second spot in some form. But it's not just that anymore. It just can't be. So we believe that, you know, creating a through line of culture and then, you know, sort of just thinking about how do you solve a problem, um, how that gets deployed in the real world. Yeah, it can be content or it can be an experiential opportunity or it can be an earned opportunity or it could be a sports sponsorship. It can be lots of things. 
But if we can elevate ourselves above the tactical and really think about how we solve problems on a you know cultural strategy level, um, that's where I believe you know sort of whether it's in APAC or whether that's in in the U.S. or it's down to Sydney or wherever it might be, um, I, I believe that's where you know as marketers that you know the opportunity exists. And and talk about how you're navigating that sort of intersection of digital and experiential. You know, now we're, we're in a very different world than we were certainly a few years ago when so much of our lives were on hold. Uh, by most measures now, we're back full on, other than office attendance, where we are still lagging in many, many places, New York being one of them. But everywhere else in our, in our cultural lives, if you will, sports, entertainment, food, fashion, et cetera, we're back full on. Yeah, I, you know, we, we all were sitting home and figuring out, oh my gosh, how do, how do we figure all this out? And, you know, we can do digital events, we can do virtual stuff. Uh, and I think as we came out of this, what we realized is it, it's not one or the other, it's, it's all of it. And, you know, as we think about, you know, work that we do, whether it be for, you know, Marriott, we just launched a, a film for them uh, as they launched a new global tagline. And then a, a, a film in, in APAC, which really brought that to life with, you know, sort of riding the uh, you know, the, the Korean wave, um, you know, there's an example where it's content at its core, but then there's digital distribution, there's, you know, experiential opportunities, there's other ways to bring that to life. So, you know, I, I think that that is the world that we're living in now. So as I talk about, just like consumers aren't one thing, ways to reach consumers aren't one thing uh, either. You know, we, for example, just, you know, given the world of Endeavor that we live in, we just helped launch uh, Snoop Dogg's ice cream, Dr. Bombay. You know, and, and that was very much launched in, you know, production, PR, social, influencer marketing. You know, that would have been in the past, you know, you run some commercials, you do some sampling and you hope people buy the product. But but now, you know, our ability to be able to leverage all the 160 assets, you know, plus the world that we live in inside of Endeavor, you know, is, is where I think to your point is, is it, you know, virtual? Is it physical? Yeah, it, it is. It's all of that. Yeah, no, very well said. Let's talk about an, another issue uh, that was also cited in that recent APAC marketing trend prediction piece that you put out, and that's uh, the alignment of things that were not always thought to be aligned, which is purpose and profit. And one of my heroes in business is uh, Paul Pullman, the former CEO of Unilever, who really showed that wrapping Unilever brands around sustainability was good for the planet and good for the bottom line. Talk about what you're seeing in that arena. Yeah, listen, you know, I, I think going back a number of years, it was, you know, CSR, right? You know, run a, run, run a program, you know, check the box, you know, put in your annual report and, you know, sort of move on to selling product. Um, brands just can't stand on the sidelines anymore. You know, the, the days of waiting to see which, wind the wind, which way the wind blows and, you know, sort of hoping it doesn't loft, you know, over a brand and put them in a bad spot. It's so important now, just so important. We talk with our clients all the time on this to really know what you stand for. You know, what are your values? How, you know, how do you align? What, what do you do, not just externally, but what do you do internally? You know, how do you show up? And, you know, Unilever was, was such a leader in that way, which is, you know, you can do well and you can also do good, you know, and, and they don't have to be differentiated. You can actually drive the bottom line, you know, if you are aligned. The issue that I think so many brands still have is those that sort of fake it, you know, like just sort of 
you know, put a few things out there and hope nobody notices. I think that's where the problems come in. And, and you know, again, for 160 over 90, being part of this world of endeavor, we're sort of uniquely, you know, able to help our clients navigate that because, you know, my colleagues around the world are literally the ones creating those sort of trends and those things that people care about. So, you know, allowing us to be able to help brands align with their values and the values of their customers or their consumers, you know, really is, we believe, a game changer. Very well said. So you've got uh, a decade plus under your belt there. Um, I'm going to ask you an impossible question to answer, but if we're doing this again 10 years later, what do you think Endeavor and 160 over 90 might look like? Yeah, by the way, I'll, I'll leave the Endeavor question to others. The the 160 over 90 piece, um, I think the aperture to culture will be opened even further. You know, there's so many things happening now, uh, you know, like what what is, you know, AI going to do, you know, sort of what does the metaverse mean, you know, sort of where are the world of politics bringing us? So, you know, culture is so many things. So continuing to open the world of, of, of culture and make sure that we're um, we're aligned and, and, and credible in that space. Uh, the other would be uh, making sure that we've got the you know, service offerings on a global basis that you know, reinforce who we are. And then you know, helping our clients grow um, you know, as well. You talk about you know, the, the world of APAC. Uh, you know, doing business in, you know, in China is very different than doing business in South America, doing business in the US. So our ability to really have people on the ground that understand that cultural nuance um, you know, understand the differences uh, continues to be a real credible, uh, a real point of credible difference. And, and I think 10 years from now, that will only grow more. You know, the world's getting smaller, but there are still these nuances and differences that uh, for any, you know, global organization, multinational brand, you know, are going to be so important to navigate. Uh, you answered an impossible question uh, beautifully. Let's ask a more reasonable question. So you have a global footprint. Um, I was on with somebody this morning who leads a global business and we were talking about growth and I was very keen on places like South Asia, South, Southeast Asia, forgive me, India, Africa, other emerging markets. I certainly think the U.S. continues to be the 800-pound gorilla in business for the most part, but we are far from the only game in town. Talk about where you see the growth globally. Yeah, so I'll tell you what's so interesting. When I when I came out of my NHL experience, you know, you said the NFL before that, I I, I sort of had this felt sense like I understood the world, and what I realized is I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> you know that there is there is so much of a difference to you know those places around the world. But what I did come to realize is culture um, travels, and you know I think that's the core sort of premise in all of it and what we do. So. You know, I think about something, you know, like a F1, for example, right? You know, the, the presence that F1 now has on a global basis and the ability to be able to have culture travel in those ways. Who would have thought, you know, just a few years ago that there'd be three races in the U.S., three F1 races, right? So now, you know, the success that Austin has, you know, has had over years to, you know, what's happening now in Miami, you know, Vegas about to launch as well. You know, so the ability to be able to tap into some of those emerging markets in, in ways that are culturally connected and, and relevant, I think are so important. You know, you mentioned India, the world of cricket, right? You know, exporting cricket from India into other parts of the world sort of brings a bit of India with it. People have a better understanding and, you know, knowledge base and just, you know, sort of cultural connectivity. Um, you know, so, so I think that those are the types of things 
that can help uh, both export Americana into other parts of the world, but as importantly, you know, sort of import some of those other, um, you know, other markets. And by the way, I think we didn't even talk about football, global football, soccer, you know, like you, clearly that's, you know, the, the universal language that gets spoken, you know, around the world. So I, I believe that culture uh, in all forms are, are ways to, you know, sort of help grow and enhance some of those emerging markets. Yeah. And I think many of the genres that you play in, you know, music is a global language, sports, starting with football, English football, or, or global football, I should say, not our football. Though, you know, we saw yesterday the NFL in Frankfurt for the first time. And uh, certainly looks like they've got a hit on their hands and that they're going to keep going and growing, you know, I would think to Europe, but other parts of the world as well. Yeah, listen, I, you know, good to be the NFL, right? I mean, you know, such a stranglehold in sports in, in North America. But, but now, as you say, you know, beginning to sort of push into other parts of the world, you know, they've been in London for a good amount of time, but now pushing into, uh, you know, pushing into other places. And, you know, the point that you make about, you know, music is sports and fashion and, you know, putting all that together. You know, I, I, I think about Marriott, right? One of our clients as well, who are an NFL partner also. Them leveraging, you know, the NFL in other parts of the world, you know, is, is a key part of their strategy. But then actually to the F1 point that I made as well, you know, uh, the Ritz Carlton, uh, we worked with them uh, in South Beach for the Miami Grand Prix. And in that case, to your point about music, brought in uh, uh, one of our partners, a guy named Lamar Taylor, who's the weekend's creative director. And we put together a, you know, sort of biggest thing happening in South Beach, the marriage of a brand, F1, music, fashion, culture, and, you know, created something that, you know, really Marriott, the Ritz Carlton brand, but also, you know, sort of the, the, the global reach all came together in that place. So I think whether it's the NFL in Germany or it's, you know, F1 in South Beach, th those are um, those are things that we're not going to see stop. And that's what gets me so excited about where 160 over 90 is situated and all of that. Yeah, it's 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 great to see. And uh, we'll follow up with your team about this, but we are very bullish on Africa. And we launched mm -hmm. Advertising Week. We brought Kevin Hart over. It was a partnership with the Nelson Mandela Foundation and another group, Education Africa. And I think as a cultural export, there is huge upside. We're already seeing it in music out of Nigeria predominantly, uh, but other parts of the continent as well. And I think what you're doing with that global footprint, you know, marrying cultures across genres you know, it's just a great, great recipe. You, you got to be having a lot of fun doing this, I would think, Ed. You know, I've been having, having a blast. It, you know, really, um, one is this is an organization that has really invested in 160 over 90. You know, we've had the ability to put the resources against what we need to do. Um, we've got some great clients that, you know, have some some vision and, and you know, some courage in terms of the marketing work that they're they're doing and that they're letting us to be a part of. Um, so, yeah, listen, I, I tell people all the time, if if you're going to work in this industry, you know, selfishly for me, I'm not, I'm really not sure where else I'd want to be at this point in my career. That's a great story. And, and, and as we start to wrap uh, another slightly more reasonable question, but what's on your whiteboard looking ahead for the rest of 23 and 24, what are you excited about? Well, listen for, for the rest of 23, it's, uh, you know, we're beginning to, to wrestle our way towards, uh, towards the end of the year. So it's making sure that we have, you know, happy clients, uh, you know, we're heavily involved with the NFL. We've got six clients that are NFL partners. So making sure that we're, you know, getting ready for, uh, for Super Bowl uh, in Vegas uh, at the same time that, you know, F1 in, in Vegas is, is coming in, you know, just a couple of few weeks. 
Um, so I'm excited about uh, those. And then for 24 is just making sure that, you know, all the things we talked about, you know, really come to life. Like you, you can talk a lot, but, but at the end of the day, this is a business that you actually have to, you know, act and you have to deliver for, uh, for your clients. So, you know, it's, it, it's all of, uh, it, it's all of those things that, that, you know, we've, we've talked about and, you know, we've got so many great relationships as part of the world of Endeavor partnerships. You know, we didn't even talk about, you know, we, uh, we're a partner with Michael B. Jordan in a marketing agency he started called Obsidian Works. So, you know, as we think about multicultural opportunities, um, you know, working to make sure that when you say multicultural marketing, really at the end of the day, it's just marketing, you know, so sure. making sure that, you know, we continue to sort of eliminate the labels that don't need to happen or don't need to, you know, sort of be a prefix in, in front of things that those are all the things that keep me excited and, and have me excited for 24. Great. Now, I think that I'm glad you mentioned the agency with Michael B. Jordan. And I think it's another area where you guys really excel is, you know, America well within our lifetimes is going to be more than 50% non-white. And why wouldn't you want to talk to all your potential customers and your entire audience versus half of it? Of course. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Great. Well, Ed, thanks so much for doing this. An absolute joy. Yeah, it's uh, great to see you, Matt. Thanks for having me. You got it.